Welcome to the Restore the Union podcast. If you're tired of the unreliable, biased news sources telling you what to think and how to think, then you've come to the right place. This is not your typical political show. You may actually have to think and come to your own conclusions. The Restore the Union podcast is about breaking down barriers across the aisle, working together to understand how we got to this explosively divisive political place, and understanding without bias the issues we face so that we may restore our more perfect union. This is the Restore the Union podcast, and this is Eric Marmer. Hi, and welcome to the Restore the Union podcast. Again, my name is Eric Marmer. I'm your host, and welcome to our first episode ever. I'm really excited today because we have Andrew Bustamante, former covert CIA intelligence officer, and today we'll be discussing what we perceive to be the most immediate threat to the United States, our own infighting. Today we're going to discuss how we got to this place, and most importantly, what we can do to help combat the infighting among us. Uh, before I even jump in here, I'd just like to thank Andrew for his service to our country, and for even allowing us to enjoy the freedom we have to even be here today. So thank you very much, Andrew. Oh, my pleasure, Eric. Thank you very much for having me. So before we even dive in here, I just want to talk about something. Usually our episodes will focus on some issue or current event that came up and breaking down that current event in a very unbiased way so that you can come to your own conclusion uh, based on our discussion. But today, I just want to be able to set the groundwork moving forward on this episode to discuss why we even are doing this show and and how we got to this place. So Andrew, I'm really grateful to have you here today again, and I can't think of someone better to have here to set the stage moving forward for Restore the Union. So Andrew, can you just tell us a little bit about your background and what you know you could tell us about your career in the CIA? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again, Eric, like I said, for having me. Um, I am a former covert intelligence officer, like you mentioned. Uh, my focus was on operations, uh, specifically field operations, um, and I can't really go into much more detail uh, beyond that. Uh, what I have been able to do, though, is take my experience and take the knowledge that I brought from my uh, operational work with CIA and tailor it through, uh, through a lecture and uh, education platform that I host called Everyday Espionage. And Everyday Espionage is all about taking that taking the techniques, taking the knowledge, taking the experience of uh, espionage in the field and applying it to everyday life so that we can see what benefits and what advantages we can gain in our, in our everyday lives by pulling from some of the skills and the knowledge that is shared through the intelligence services around the world. Admittedly, I am a listener of your podcast. I love it. And uh, it's part of the reason I'm having you here today because I think that your point of view and your perspective can actually help us not only set the stage for this, but help us to better understand what's happening and maybe with that understanding move forward to get us to a better place. Jumping right in here, I just want to talk about some of the covert and overt actions that have happened you know, against the United States that brought us to this point. And the first thing I really would like to discuss is the video of the KGP defector, Yuri Bezmenov. Are you familiar with, with that video? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's actually a really interesting video because it was, I believe it was recorded in the 80s, uh, but some of the concepts that he talked about specifically with the cultural subversion uh, and the deliberate intent to undermine American culture from within is uh, it's strikingly familiar with what we see happening today. Right. And that's, that's what's amazing to me is that back in the 80s, we had this KGB defector, and you're thinking probably back in the day, 
is this guy telling like the truth? Does he really want the American public to know what Russia's overall goals are and what they want to accomplish? And it seems like from watching that video and sorry for the people that haven't watched this video, this is basically a KGB defector telling us uh, how they are going to infiltrate the United States without ever stepping foot here. Basically not being able to tell what's fact or fiction and just flooding us with information. And uh, that's what we see today. And it's kind of, uh, it's kind of scary to see that that that's something that somebody said back in the eighties and we're living that today. And Andrew, I know you said before we talked about this, you don't think that there, can you, can you kind of clarify what you were talking about when you said that they weren't back then they have a different plan than they have now, but yeah, absolutely. I know where you're getting at. Right. So, um, what I was, what I was kind of trying to highlight was that it's easy sometimes to watch a video from a defector or to watch some snippet of information that was captured in an interview or captured at some point in time. And then because you're looking at it through present day eyes, you obviously immediately apply it to the present day. But we have to remember that anytime we absorb information, we have to absorb it through the lens of the time period in which that information was recorded. So we look at today, we look at uh, 2016, we look at many of the headlines that have to do with, uh, with the uh, current administration and the questions that surround the Trump administration regarding espionage and covert influence and you know, Russian involvement. It's, it's easy to, to look at that video from the 80s with modern day eyes and immediately apply it to the kind of activity that we're seeing with fake news and false news and social media and, you know, uh, and the question of foreign interlocutors uh, participating uh, or driving a influence campaign through social media. That, that is a natural cognitive connection to make, but just because it's natural does not mean that it is in fact correct. Because what was happening in the 80s is completely different than what is happening today. There was no social media, there was no internet of things. Uh, really, the whole idea of an internet at all was still a very fledgling idea. Um, just kind of, it existed in a handful of servers uh, on very large computers. So it's very difficult to, um, to make, a, to draw a correlation with confidence that that video that Yuri was making in the 80s was uh, either preminiscent or relevant to what we're seeing today. It's difficult to draw that connection with confidence, but that doesn't necessarily mean the two are unrelated. Right. So it could be that it maybe just fell into their lap and they're, you know, why they were, they had that plan, the internet or, happened and social yeah, or, media, or nothing. Bingo. <laughs> bingo. Exactly. They had a plan and then, and then technology provided a faster conduit to execute that plan. Right. The same right. thing is true. The same thing is true about uh, college and advanced education. Right. There was a time where if you wanted to get an advanced degree, you had to go back to school full time in a standard university. Well, now, because of technology, if you want to pursue an advanced degree, you can do it on the nights. You can go to school at night on nights. You can go to school on the weekends. You know, you can choose to do something where it's completely and totally remote. You can do something that's a hybrid of in class and in, in your house. So the technology has caught up to a point where it can complement education. Unfortunately, that also means technology has caught up to a point where it can complement espionage. Right. And that, that leads me to my next question here. So social media has played a huge role in the last campaign and we know there's Russian troll factories and you know, anybody else that can 
leverage social media to sway public opinion. I just want to know, what are your thoughts on how countries, groups, lobbying firms are leveraging social media to sway and disrupt the public views and perception? The, the thing to remember about social media is that when it was originally created, and the reason that it is called social media is because it was originally intended to be user-generated content of a social nature, right? It was meant to be the essentially uh, an extension or a replacement for interpersonal relationships. Right. So you and I run into each other around the office, uh, you know, um, water jug, and we we make ourselves a cup of coffee and we talk about social things. We don't talk about anything too heavy or significant. But as social media matured, and as people became more vocal and more uh, emboldened with the anonymity that comes with social media, you start seeing it become a tool that transforms, right? And I thought that I thought Facebook did an especially good job of discussing this uh, when they had to answer to uh, some of the reports that were talking about how Facebook was one of the primary um, the primary contributors to fake news and false news during the 2016 election. Right. And they, they, they apologized, but they were very transparent when they said the purpose of this platform was to connect people over social topics, right? It was to be right. a, uh, a complement to interpersonal relationships. It was never intended to be used as a valid, vetted news source. And now it seems like everyone's just posting from, <laughs> from unvalidated, random places of just crap, and it's posted, and people take it for what it is and take it as you know, real news and facts and they'll post it and they'll use it in their arguments and they see a long laundry list of things people are arguing over. And I actually right. heard something interesting today, the Green New Deal that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez put out, they wrote, they, they were writing up a resolution, which wasn't even going to be law. And she was writing this up and there's like a few different versions. They like scaled theirs back but I see like on uh, far right news stations and even Donald Trump, and it's not even his fault. There's versions, different versions of it out there. And now people are arguing over something that's not even a legitimate, uh, going to be a legitimate resolution in, in Congress. So it's just a bunch of different versions and, and the president can't even get around it. So really what I'm trying to ask you is, is as someone whose job it was to filter through all the, I guess, all the bullshit, how do you, how do you do that? How do, what, are your, what are your suggestions for people out there that are listening when they want to get to the bottom of something they want to know what's true and what they can actually believe so they know what's happening in the world and they want to be more informed? What can they do? Yeah, it's, uh, I'm, not, I'm not promising you that you're going to like the answer. <laughs> okay. So, um, so one of the reasons that, that, that social media is so effective at influencing large groups of people is because of the fact that people like convenient, easy answers to very difficult questions, right? We all like that. If uh, I remember taking, you know, taking math courses and advanced science courses in, in undergraduate and graduate school, and man, any time I had the opportunity to kind of skip all the math and just get to the answer, I was on board, right? I was kind of, I was willing to just take the answer and run with it. The same thing is true when it comes to trying to explain how to, uh, how to find information, how to deal with information, how to form an opinion. It's much easier to support an opinion that someone else defends to you right. than to come up with the, the, 
argument to support your own opinion. Essentially, we have to work harder to come up with our own conclusions. And the way that we work harder is not by, or not by, uh, by delving deeper into the same circles that we currently run in, but by diversifying the sources of information that we listen to. I have a fantastic example. My, my, I have a cousin who is a big fan of listening to podcasts. Um, and she is, you know, uh, younger in her early thirties. Um, and she has always been, you know, very left leaning in a lot of her political beliefs. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, in the last year to a year and a half, she decided to start intentionally and deliberately consuming conservative news. So now she's listening to a mix of both sides. And then as she listens to it, it, it at first it would infuriate her and it would, it would cause this emotional you know, irritation to listen to opinions that were so opposite her own. Right. But over time, she started to hear points that were valid. And she started to take those and research them on her own. And now when I talk to her, what I find is that she's not left or right. She is absolutely an independent thinker. And what I, what I would love to see, what I hope for our world, is that we all learn to become independent thinkers. We challenge ourselves to consume all types of news because all types of news are, are provided from a place where they have a a goal and objective. They're all trying to influence us. And the only way that we can prevent ourselves from being influenced is by giving ourselves the context to be able to understand multiple sources, multiple angles, and come to our own conclusion. I think I should be listening to more of the news that I'm not listening to to be- form better opinions and uh, maybe read some articles from other places. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to be of assistance. Yeah, thank you. And I hope, I hope other people out there listening are. Uh, are learning a little bit too, maybe what we can do to form better opinions. We might have to put in a little more work, but overall it might be worth it. Maybe we'll be able to see uh, other points of views and discuss the issues that we're, that, that are, you know, coming up and that we're facing so that we can work together to solve these problems. When, when we talk about coming to your own conclusion, forming your own opinion, right? The, the world the just look at America, just look at American culture. American culture, particularly American consumer culture, what we buy, what we spend our money on, etc., is built around this, uh, um, this concept that the consumer wants whatever the advertisers tell them they want, right? So, right. Uh, you know, the reason that you see a Hardee's or a McDonald's or a Wendy's commercial you know, every 15 minutes isn't because the advertisers want you to want a hamburger right then and right there. It's because when you inevitably need a hamburger, when you inevitably are hungry, (laughs) they want to make sure that their brand is at the top of your mind, right? So that you don't think, well, I'm hungry, but a hamburger is going to make me feel like crap 20 minutes after I eat it. They don't want to make you think about the dietary impact. They just want it to come to your mind and influence your decision in that one moment where you need to make a decision. By simply by acknowledging, simply by understanding how that advertising cycle works, that when you watch the ad, they're not trying to entertain you. They're not trying to do anything other than keep putting their brand in front of your face so they're top of mind when the moment comes that you need to eat something. Once you understand that concept, all of a sudden advertising becomes ineffective to you. You can no longer be influenced. If anything, when you get hungry and you think about McDonald's, the next thought that you're going to have is, 
hell no, I'm not going to McDonald's. Those people annoy me with these advertisements all the time. I know the food's going to make me feel like trash. And, you know, why would I do that to myself? Really, what you're saying, though, it's an analogy. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it seems like you're saying, you know, the, the news out there, they're out there to really make money. They're not out there to, I mean, they are out there to keep us informed, but they're, they have their own agenda. And, and that's really, that's part of it. And I think, you know, some people are, are tuned into CNN or Fox News all the time. And, and you know, they're just going to keep getting the same thing and the same thing over and over again. And I, I can't count how many times I've, I've heard, you're watching too much CNN or Fox News. And we all hear that. And we all get blamed for being one-sided. And I just think we need to, we need to get away from that. But it's hard because people are going to have to change the way. It's, <laughs> going back to your, your burger analogy, somebody that loves burgers and they see them, you know, they're constantly being inundated with, uh, with Hardee's and McDonald's and Burger King commercials are going to be drawn to that. And I don't know if this podcast or, or what will be enough to pull them out of that so that they can go out there and come to better conclusions and put in the work to do so. I don't know if people even have the time. Yeah. So, but, yeah, and this, yeah. But, yeah. And to interrupt you here again, Eric, the, yeah, you know, um, one of the sad, one of the sad realities of going, um, of learning the craft of espionage is that you learn that they're, that all people are in fact not the same, right? We want to believe that everybody has equal potential. We want to believe that there is this idea of equality and we want to believe in fairness and, and uh, you, know, to, you know, all man is, every man is created equal under God. That's what we want to believe in terms of our, of our cultural values. But when it comes to actually executing an, an intelligence collection operation anywhere in the world, you start to realize that people are not equal. People are not all built the same. And just like you were saying with the burger connect, with the burger analogy, you know, some people are just, they love their hamburger. Some people are going to hear me even suggest that they stop watching commercials or even suggest that maybe they, they question their news source and right. they're immediately going to have a visceral reaction. They're going to think that I'm a crackpot. I have, just as much, you know, hate mail in my inbox as I do <laughs> fan mail in my inbox. And that's okay. I wish I could change every heart and every mind. But I have already accepted that, that that's a goal beyond my reach. The best thing that I can do is put out what information I have in the hopes that I do touch those people who have the ability to influence some piece of our future, to make our union greater, to leave a legacy for their children and my children and our collective culture. And I think that's a part of what I'm trying to do here. And I'm trying to leverage uh, the talent that we have here that, that we need to listen to. And we need to, we need to hear the people with experience that can talk to these issues and can help guide us because a lot of us are just stuck watching and listening to the same stuff. And we kind of have to get outside of our circles and that kind of leads me into something I heard on your show. This is somewhat of an intentional plug for your show for Everyday Espionage. And you have a really good podcast and you just started, uh, how recently did you start? Yeah, Everyday Espionage was actually just launched in November of 2017. Wow, so it's... it's, so it's, it's yeah, over a it's year, but year. not by much. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's really great though. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And if you're not familiar with Andrew's podcast, I implore you to check it out. 
Andrew shows you how you can use skills he learned in his career in the CIA in your everyday life. And my real reason for mentioning it here in this podcast is I noticed, uh, you know, we touched on a topic that relates directly uh, to what you're talking about in the show, and that's group bias and confirmation bias. And for our listeners, can you just describe what group bias and confirmation bias is and how that actually yeah. plays a role into this problem and what we talked about before? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I'm glad you bring it up, Eric, because you're, you're 100% um, on target. What we're talking about when we talk about in-group bias and confirmation bias, these are types of something known as a cognitive bias. And a cognitive bias is a, it's like a mental crutch. Uh, we all like to think that our brain goes through a rational um, thought process that is logical and, and uh, repetitive. But in fact, what happens is our mind is always looking for shortcuts. And that's where the cognitive bias concept comes in. Oftentimes, our mind, once it's wired a shortcut from point A to point C, for example, once it's made that connection, anytime it hears input that's relevant to point A, it will immediately assume that point C is the outcome. So it skips the reasoning process. It skips the critical thinking process. And it simply goes from information immediately into validation. And it believes that what it's hearing is true. When we talk about two types of cognitive bias, two examples of where this, this shortcut of our mental process works, we, two of those examples are the in-group bias and the confirmation bias. And the in-group bias is a bias where once you belong to a group, you tend to believe the way that that group believes. So when someone in that group brings a thought or brings a message, you don't reason your way through deciding whether or not you agree with the message because you want to be part of the group. So you simply accept the information as fact because to challenge that information would essentially mean to risk pushing yourself out of the group. So that's what the in-group bias is. The confirmation bias is a bias where, uh, where when you hear a piece of information that confirms something you already believe, you tend to believe that information is accurate. Where when you hear a piece of information that challenges what you believe, you tend to assume that information is invalid. So the confirmation bias is particularly treacherous because when you try to learn something new, you have a cognitive bias, a mental process that's already happening in your head that tells you not to trust the new information. And it, I mean, when you put the two of those together, now all of a sudden you have a group of people who are all suffering from the confirmation bias and all suffering from an in-group bias. So not only are they rejecting any information that could potentially challenge their position, but they're all feeding into one another's beliefs supporting and defending one another. And that's how you end up having a very small, very strong uh, group of beliefs that everyone in the group believes are the majority of the beliefs out there. Right. And it seems like today, <laughs> it's not such a small group. It seems like this isn't true, but it seems like what we perceive to be from the news and what we read that there is two large groups that are guilty of this. And I'm guilty of it. I think everyone is what can we act? I mean, is there any way to get out of this? Like other than what we're doing right now, just realizing that these are, this is something that is, this is exists. This is the psychology of some of the things that we're seeing right now and experiencing. 
And is there anything other than just to acknowledge it and become aware that this is something that, I mean, I, I, yeah. I admittedly am in this group. Like I have a lot of friends that have the same beliefs. I watch a lot of the same stuff. And when I'm challenged outside of that, I'm, I'm I think I don't want to say it, I'm a it's uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's uncomfortable. Un- yeah. <laughs> it is. So I think this plays a huge role in it. And I, and I just want people listening please be aware. If you didn't get all that, please rewind that because that is literally, I think, a huge thing to think about and something we need to be more cognizant of moving forward as we try to come together and work through the issues we're, we're all facing to get away from that. And, and hopefully this show and what we're talking about creates a better dialogue uh, between people that you might not have the same view, views as, and maybe you'll go outside your, your, uh, your comfort zone and see what else is out there and, and not that you have to adopt that, but just see what it is and learn. So I just want to say, yeah, there's, uh, I mean, to answer, yeah, to answer your question. Yeah. To, just real briefly to answer your question, yeah, about if there's, anything, <laughs> <laughs> if there's anything we can do about it, uh, the answer is yes, there's always something we can do about it. Um, but that doesn't mean you're going to, again, that doesn't mean you're going to like the answer. So right. what we're taught, what we're taught, is first and foremost that you have to recognize the cognitive bias. The reason the cognitive bias exists in our mind is because we don't realize it. Our mind makes shortcuts, it skips the reasoning and critical thinking process, and then it jumps to a conclusion, and we accept that conclusion as fact and we move on with our life. 99% of people out there don't even know that the mind works that way. So it's an incredibly (laughs) important step an incredibly important step to first acknowledge and recognize that that's happening to you and that it's not your fault. It's not because you're some crazy liberal. It's not because you're some gun-toting conservative, right? It's just because that you're human and that's how it works in the human mind. Once we can acknowledge that and accept that that's a fundamental flaw in our reasoning process, then we can choose what we do next. And it's a hard first step just acknowledging that we're not really in control of our thinking is a hard first step. But, yeah. but then from there, it's, it's the only first step that matters. Once you have that down, once you recognize that you have a process in your mind that skips steps that you're not in control of, then the next step is starting to do things deliberately that put you back in control of your own mind. You can slow your thinking. We're trained to slow our thinking. We're trained to anticipate cognitive bias in others. So that when we come in contact with that cognitive bias, we actually can slow down or control the conversation we're having with that person so that we get them to process through, to reason through their own arguments. There's all sorts of skills that you can apply so that you no longer have to suffer immediately from the cognitive bias. But there is no way to terminate a cognitive bias. It's always going to be there. It doesn't go away. We just have to learn to manage it right so when you were saying were were you were you directly referring to uh i guess training that you get in correct yeah 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 i mean it's yeah intelligence officers around the world have to learn how their mind works and they have to learn uh how how other minds work because it's independent of language culture religion right? right once you kind of learn the physiology of the mind and the thinking process the sky is the limit for what you can do with it. And in espionage, oftentimes we're taught to use that to a tactical advantage in support of a national objective, which, you know, 
is is very one-sided. But but in everyday life, right? In everyday life, we can use it to any to build any positive experience that we choose to build, whether it's raising our children or working with a business partner or you know enhancing a marriage. We can use it to build something positive, even though the skill was originally intended to be used in espionage to you know to terminate or disrupt or destroy the the enemy right it's a shame that's still lock and key for the most part because i think a lot of people uh would really benefit i think the country would benefit greatly i mean i guess it's if it's in the right hands right so who's to know yeah you can see you can see what yuri said the russians were doing with the same type of approach right right right. so uh, when you talked about that defector video there's the other side of it not that yeah, we're absolutely. probably not doing the same stuff, right? <laughs> every every country has a vested interest in doing it, right? Right. Um, one of the things that I've enjoyed about my my role since leaving the agency is that now I get a chance to just to be a fellow American instead of being a defender of the Constitution, right? That's a completely different role. Ask any soldier out there and they will tell you there's a difference between being a soldier and being a police officer, right? right? It's not the same thing. Police officers are here to protect the community from within. Soldiers are there to attack an aggressor from outside. Uh, and that's very much a, a strong parallel with what it's like to be in the intelligence world. When you're an intelligence officer, you're there to affect an enemy from outside. You're not there to support and defend from inside. Is, is there anything we haven't touched on yet that you think is really important for people out there to know uh, in regards to what we're discussing and what people can actually do to help um, come to a place where they can where they can actually discuss things with other people and, and try and work, help everyone work through what we're experiencing right now and be less divisive? Yeah, you know, there is something that I want to make sure that I, I call out. There's a concept out there called noble intent. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, Eric. I haven't. But, so noble intent is something that often comes up as as silly as it sounds, it often comes up in like uh, anger management or um, couples therapy or uh, some, you know, a lot of mental health circles. Right. Because it's, it, it is a natural human instinctual um, behavior to assume the worst in a lack of information. When you don't know what's going on, it's very easy to assume the worst. When your boss isn't talking to you, very few of us assume, oh, well, that must mean I'm doing a good job. Most of us assume that that means that the boss isn't paying attention or they don't care about me or whatever else. Right. Uh, in an argument with your spouse, it's very easy to assume that your spouse is being selfish or you know, not being patient or they don't care about you or they're not supportive uh, when in fact it's quite the opposite. Noble intent is, a, is an intentional process where we assume that the other person is doing what they sincerely believe is right. So no matter what the outcome is, we are assuming that they have noble intent in their actions. If we started coming from, as a nation, as individuals, as political parties, as communities, as professionals, if we started coming from a place where we assumed that the other person was coming from a place of noble intent, that they were doing what they genuinely believed was the right thing to do, we would start listening much more than we argue. We would start, we would start adopting a different perspective because we would, we would assume that there might be something we can learn from what this other person is doing. 
because we would believe that they're doing it for the right reasons instead of always assuming that they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Right. And I think that's people, people get so contentious so fast when you discuss something that they don't believe in and they think's wrong. And it's funny because while I'm listening to what you're saying, I'm thinking, you know, when I listen to my future mother-in-law speak about uh, her political beliefs, I really do hear her out. Whereas other people, I'd be quicker to be like, mm, I don't agree with you, but I hear her out. And I think she does the same for me as well. And that's, that's an interesting point of view. I haven't thought about that. So this question is pretty basic. And I just want to know what you think, really. Do you think that we're actually as far apart on things and this divisive? Or do you think that's something out there in the news that we perceive to be because what we hear and listen to all day? It's a, you know, it's a fantastic question. I, I would say that my answer is yes, we are as far apart as many of us feel. And we are actively being pulled apart because of what we choose to listen to, because of what we choose to feed our minds. I think that if we were to allow ourselves the space to come to our own conclusions, if we were to allow ourselves the opportunity to learn what we want to learn instead of being exposed only to what's thrown at us, I think we would find that we would be much closer together, that we would be much more aligned with one another. Because when it comes down to it, we're all just Americans. We're all just people trying to make ends meet, trying to hash out an existence that is meaningful and productive and helpful for ourselves and to leave some kind of a legacy for future generations. And when we, I don't think there's anybody out there who would disagree with that sentiment, but where we disagree is how we go about executing that sentiment. And everybody has always, for, for all time and, and for all time yet to come, we will all have different ways of doing that. But when we allow ourselves to be pulled apart by, by messaging, by arguments, by you know, uh, businesses or politicians or you name it, who choose to make large statements about a few critical pieces, then that's where the divisiveness really starts to set in. When we all sit around a table and we talk about the things we have in common as well as the things we have not in common, we will find that the things we have in common bring us together faster and closer than the things we do not have in common. That's uh, really well said. I, I, I agree with that. I think that we, we really are that far apart. And I think that you're right, though, is if we could come to a place where, where we can actually hear each other and listen to each other, we might come to realize that we really aren't that far apart. So thank and, you. For, thank yeah. You. And, and I don't, I'm going to risk putting a damper on the whole conversation. Here, right? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. But I know that I, I'm coming from a place of espionage and I'm coming from a place in my mind where I've seen how this works in the dark side of the world. And the, the power of connecting is the power that, that spies use around the world to convince patriots to sell the secrets of their country, right? Like, right. I, I cannot understate the power of connectedness because so much of our human condition requires a sense of belonging. It's part of Maslow's hierarchy. It's part of basic human conditioning. So, you know, by giving ourselves the space to connect, 
we are empowering ourselves and empowering others. And if we don't give ourselves a space to connect on our own, somebody else out there will try to connect with us and manipulate the way that we think. That's how yes. espionage works. That's how the international uh, uh, world is influenced by outside actors. It's exactly what will happen if we do not take the reins ourselves. And you think that's actually, I think that's actually happening now. Can you agree with that? That that's what's happening where we're just being exploited and people aren't really cognizant of that, that that's happening. Uh, you know, it's, I would, there's, it's always been happening and it will always happen because there's always someone out there. There's always an actor or an entity or an organization that benefits from that type of uh, inception. But right. the, whether or not we're past a point of no return, I do not think we're that far gone. I think that especially being one of, you know, one of the most educated, one of the fairest, one of the most uh, law-abiding countries in the world, we, uh, more than anybody else, are in a position to change the course of fate for ourselves. And I hope that you're right. And <laughs> I think you are. I think that we can come back from this place and, and, uh, I just re- listened to a podcast recently. It's called Bagman, and it's basically about uh, when Spiro Agnew was the vice president uh, under Nixon and that whole story. And if and if you don't know that story, uh, it's basically the country was at one point. I don't know if it was as div- as divided as it is today, but it was really divided. And we came back from that, and we've had a lot of good times in this country since then, and bad ones. And it seems like we're on the down the downslope of this roller coaster now, but hopefully, uh, you know, we'll come back from it. And I think you're right. I think we will. I still think we have hope. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, and I think, but I, I think it's important, like just for me, I know that, I know that when I'm watching anything, I, tr- I really do try to make an effort to get outside of my circle of things I watch and listen to and, who I speak to, I try to really to learn more than I more and, and get out of my comfort zone to actually maybe pick something up or see a different point of view. Um, even if naturally, you know, I don't want to. So, and, and I would encourage you to keep doing the same thing. And, and I would also encourage you to recognize that what the fact that you're trying at all puts you at an advantage over a lot of folks who don't even have, they don't recognize that they're not doing it. Right. right. So, I I love the fact that you see how much you are being fed by diversifying your sources of information. You can, if you just make that a little bit more public, right? If you just, if you talk about how you do that, or if you share with other people that you do that, or if you invite, you know, peers to experience a, uh, a, a different message along with you, you'll start leading by example, right? You'll start all of a sudden, uh, influencing people for the better when previously they were not even aware that you had this, uh, this, you know, insight that they were lacking. Right. And I, and I, I, I try to talk to other people too, that seem more, um, I don't want to say centered because I don't mean politically. I mean, they're more centered as, and they have enough insight to their, to their own thinking to realize that they need to, uh, consume other information that's outside of what they usually do or, or try to diversify it. So I think as long as you're running in circles like that with those people and, and watching and listening to different things, I think you're on a good path to, uh, to actually be more informed and less likely to be exploited by outside actors that are trying to persuade your, 
your opinion and, and your, your train of thought. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Totally. So, well, at that, every show that I have, I'm trying to have a listener question. So prior to this, and this is our first show, I post on social media and told them the gist of the show and who was I, who I was speaking with. And our first question on the show is from uh, Melanie Paez. And the question is for you, Andrew, obviously. And it's uh, who do you, who and what do you see as a current uh, positive proactive group when it comes to solving the issues of infighting in our country? Do you know of any or have any ideas? Wow. That's a fantastic question. Let me take a second to think about that. Who do I know or what organizations do I know that are taking a proactive approach to kind of bridging the gap to closing, uh, closing the divisiveness. Yeah, yeah. The divisiveness that divides us. You know, I, I don't, nothing immediately comes to my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm actually, I'm actually going to plug this exact podcast because uh, one of the reasons I was unable, absolutely, you know, anathema to the idea of turning down the invitation, Eric, was because when you laid out the mission of your podcast, I thought it was just, it was too powerful to not say yes, because there, there, Thank you. there isn't somebody out there trying to bring us together. Right. We're There's it, right? Are we doing it right now? <laughs> <laughs> but there isn't anyone out there yet trying to, you know, restore the union. Right. Because we have we have taken a turn that is not restorative, it's destructive. And it's right. really encouraging to me that where you are doing it, you know, hopefully there are dozens more who have thought about it and hearing your podcast will be the catalyst to making them take action. So yeah, thank you and very much for what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being on the show because uh, that really is the overall goal. And it's not about arguing and it's not about fighting with each other and it's not about you know, beating each other until we're dead in the face or red in the face with, uh, with our own facts and our figures from the same stuff we listen to all day. It's really about figuring out a way to come together and get back to a place where, where this country actually feels good and feels like we're connected and we can accomplish the things that, you know, our country is known to do and why people even come here in the first place. Yeah, I guess we are. We're, we, we may be the catalyst for this. Well, me, but you being the first person on the show. So thank hey, you again. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you're the catalyst, I'm happy to be the beaver. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, so that's all for this episode. And thank you for tuning in to Restore the Union. Thanks for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do here, then share, subscribe, and leave a review over on iTunes. And please feel free to comment or message me. I'd love to hear back from listeners. And that's all for now. Tune in next episode to Restore the Union. Thank you. <laughs>